0: Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. In just a minute, we're going to jump into a lesson entitled, The Law of Little Things the law of little things. I think it's going to help you, and I think it's one of those laws that you're going to be able to convey to teams uh, some of the activities that can really leverage a moment and make it better, but before we do, I want to remind you of some upcoming events. On March 18th, it's a Saturday, two hours, I'm going to be in Vancouver, Washington, And I am going to be doing leadership training. Now, this is a totally free event. If you're up in the Portland area, Vancouver area, you're in Oregon, uh, I I just really, really encourage you that you bring team members to this. Because if you bring them to this, they're going to leave better. And so that's on March 18th. On April 27th, I'll be in Rancho Cucamonga with a very dear friend of mine, uh, Diego Mesa, and his son, Adam Mesa, and it's just going to be a great roundtable, and I really, if you're around that area, you need to come, you need to be in the room, and then on May 9th in Raleigh, North Carolina. May 9th, this will be the first year we've ever been there, and we have a lot of you that listen from the North Carolina area. You really, really, really need to come and to be a part of that. So mark that down. March 18th, Vancouver, that's free, but April 27th, Rancho, and May 9th, Raleigh, you can go to my webpage and sign up. For those you want any information, call our office, go to my webpage, com. Today, I want to talk to you about the law of little things, the law of little things. So let me start by saying this, little things matter. And if you don't appreciate that, here's how this law works. If you don't esteem little things, one day they'll become big things. So the law of little things, little things matter. It's not only that little things matter, but the right little things really matter. So there's tons of little things, but it's the right little things that really, really matter. And if you add to that, the right little things over time matter a lot. So I want you to get the concept of this law. Little things matter. Sometimes we look back and we just reflect and say, I wished I'd have done that one thing. Why do we say that? Because something little mattered. But it's not just little things matter, it's that the right little things really matter. That in your life, when you figure out the little things in your leadership journey that really, really matter, that begins to help you. But the right little things, over the accumulation of time, they matter a whole lot. Years ago, there was that exciting day where it was announced they had found the remains of the ship Titanic. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the story. It's maiden voyage. It was the fastest, the best ship around, and it's going to go from London. It's going to go to New York, but it's never going to arrive. It's going to hit an iceberg. Movies have been made about it, and songs have been sung about it, and so most people have it as a historical background. But here's the thing. They always supposed that what happened that evening was that it hit an iceberg, which we know was true, but that there was literally this long slash along the side of the Titanic, and it was so long that it took the ship down. However, when they found the remains of the Titanic and they went down and examined the side that had been hit by the particular iceberg, what they found was it wasn't a long and large slit. It was a series of little slits that it incurred. So I want you to understand what I'm saying. It wasn't a big long thing. It was just little slits along the side that began to create the opening the water. And one of the analogies that came forth after the engineering inspection was that if you have a series of little things, and in this case, little slits that go wrong, then what usually happens is the damage is big. See, little things matter. Now, I'm a sports guy. I love sports. I love watching sports wished I had the genetic frame to be able to play and be good at sports, but that's just out of my league. But one of my favorite coaches of all time was a man named John Wooden, and John Wooden was the coach of uh, the UCLA Bruins, and he led them to like 10 national championships, and they, they, they were the team of teams. But he was a very methodical coach. And on the very first day of practice, he would take all the new players and he would have them put on their shoes and he would watch them. And as he watched them, he would then go back and evaluate them and he would show them how to put on their socks and shoes. Now, the reason for that, apparently one of the greatest reasons that players lose time is because they get blisters on their feet from the constant running, stopping, engaging, releasing, and so he wanted his team to know exactly, but one of the things that frequently happened was he would look at them as they put on their shoes, and as they began to do it, he recognized they were wearing shoes too big for them, but see, most of these were kids that had grown up their whole life having nothing, and they were always growing into their next pair of shoes, so you bought them big, but now they're at this university, the supplying shoes. He said, no, you're going to wear the right size, and you're going to make sure that they're pulled the right way, they're tied the right way, that everything is right. Why? Because he knew that little things matter. There's A general, a general McRaven, he was uh, the general that oversaw the uh, raid that brought down bin Laden. And he does a speech where he talks about every day, make your bed. First thing in the morning, make your bed. And it was an interesting speech because what he says is every day is an adventure for everybody you don't exactly know how that day is going to go, and you don't exactly know how that day is going to turn out. But he said, every day, start the day by accomplishing something. And he said, making your bed is a little thing. But when you have a day that just blows up on you, when you come home at night and feel like, I've accomplished nothing, you're going to come home to a bed that was made correctly, And you're going to say, no, I accomplished something. So whether it's the Titanic, whether it's John Wooden, whether it's General McRaven, all of them reference the power of little things. And see, leadership is about leveraging little things. I wish that I could give you two or three things. And if you did these two or three things, you become this magnificent leader. But the truth of the matter is, is that leadership isn't two or three big things. It's a whole lot of little things. Every day I walk in my office, every day you walk in your office, and it is a series of just little things. So can you master little things and can you leverage little things? So I want to talk to you about some little things just some key little things in your life that you're going to have to master. Number one is that you're going to have to master valuing time. Now, that may sound like a big thing, but the reason people don't have time is not because they miss the big things. It's because they haven't learned to manage the little things. And when you haven't learned to manage the little things... What happens is your time gets away from you. Now, those of you that have ever been in one of my meetings, you know that I believe punctuality is a fruit of the Spirit. I believe that you're on time, whether anyone else is on time. That when we say noon, it's not noon-ish, it's noon. When we say we're going to start at nine, it's not nine, it's about, it's nine. And so one of the things is valuing time. Now, Peter Drucker is a man I've loved to read about, and he wrote so many fascinating books that are just great books. But Peter Drucker said this, every leader has three resources. He says it doesn't matter how big they are, how famous they are. It doesn't matter how much they oversee. Every leader has three resources. He said, the first resource is usually going to be people, the talent you have around you. So as you begin to lead, you have people who come alongside you to help. And he says, there's the people, there's the talent. He says, the second thing is, is the resources, the finances, that every leader is going to have resources to engage whatever they need to engage And so he makes a point, he says, as a leader, you're going to have a talent equation, you're going to deal with people, then you're going to have a treasure equation, you're going to deal with finances. But he says, there's a third resource that everyone has, and that's time. And he says, of all the resources, this is the only one that you cannot get back. He says, you can get more people. And if you're good, you can get more finances but once time is gone, you don't get more time. And he says, you have to value it. See, time is the only one that you can't create more of. So you have to master valuing time and not letting time get away from you. And what that means is, is that time must be valued strategically. It must be maximized. So what is the right use of my time? And what is the way I use that time to make that right use maximized? So it's simple questions. What must you do? And that's really the question of saying, what can others do so you don't have to do it? Now, there are things that I'm very, very good at. But there are also things that other people can do. And there's a handful of things that only I can do because of the uniqueness of my position. And because of the uniqueness of my position, I have to figure out what I must do. But it's not only what I must do, but here's sort of the kicker on this. What must you do every day? Just what must you do every day? See, there's some things I have to do. Now, if anyone's heard me, they know that every day I have to pray. I'm not good if I don't pray. I can't get better if I don't pray. And so it doesn't matter whether I feel good, I've got to pray. It doesn't matter whether my schedule's packed, I've got to pray. It doesn't matter whether a thousand things are going wrong, I've got to pray. That's one of those things I've got to do every day. Because I don't get better without prayer. But let me interject. I don't think you get better without prayer. So prayer isn't an option to me. It's what I must do. And as I tell pastors, no one can pray for you. There are things you can delegate, but this isn't one of them. Another way you approach this is you have to sync your calendar to your commitments. I want you to get the wordage. Sync your calendar to your commitment, not your commitments to your calendar. So when you start your year, here's what you do. You say, these are my commitments. You write them down. So every year, there are two meetings I will go to. Now, those go in my calendar. And the reason they go in the calendar are these are the two meetings I'm not contributing to someone else being better It's a room that makes me better. And so I'm going to make sure that that gets on the calendar. I'm not going to let my calendar get ahead of me and take away the rooms I need to be in. And that's one of the reasons we start the podcast in saying these are roundtables or leadership events. And I'm emphatic on it. If you're really serious about leadership, I love the fact that you're listening to the podcast But if you really want to get good at leadership, get yourself in the room. As I've said forever, the podcast adds to you. The room will multiply you. And some of you, you need the multiplication because you can't add fast enough. And so if you're going to be in Vancouver area, you need to get there on that Saturday I'm there because I'm going to help you grow as a leader. I'm going to help your team. And Raleigh, North Carolina... You need to get there. You need to sign up because that room will make you better. And in Rancho, that room will make you better. So sync your calendar to your commitments, not your commitments to your calendar. And so what that means is priorities first. And then it means people second. And then it means problems third. I want you to get it priorities are always first on your calendar. People are always second on your calendar. Problems are always third on your calendar. But what happens is, if number three becomes number one, the other two lose. If you allow problems to occupy your calendar before your priorities and people. Your priorities will become non-existent, and people will not feel like you value them. So one of the little things is this, you've got to value time. Number two, you have to manage margin. Now, this is sort of an old school thought, and so I need you to think back. If you had a sheet of yellow paper, I'm looking at one right now. That sheet of yellow paper, it has the main place that you write, but then it has a margin on the side. We're not talking about the main place that you would write. We're talking about that margin. You've got to manage margin. You have to take advantage of the cracks in life. I like to put it this way. If most of us leave our driveways to themselves or our uh, sidewalks to themselves in our front yard or backyard, here's what happens. We start seeing little green sprouts come up see, a lot can happen in a crack. Growth can happen in a crack. And so what do we do? We spray it because we know if we let that little sprout keep growing, it's going to break up that concrete. And see, take advantage of the cracks. Manage margin. Now, making the most of margin, there is more than you think. Of the margin in your life. Everyone wants to manage the big blocks of time, but if you learn to manage the margin, it creates results. So here's like the way I like to describe it. I go to my office and I need to speak to Jesse Prince. He's the lead pastor of Grace Church. And it's not very far down the hallway to get to Jesse's office, but as I walk down the hallway... I have maybe 30, 40 seconds. Those 30, 40 seconds, I want to manage them. I want to manage them by making those 30, 40 seconds just a time of prayer. I want to manage them by having a thought that I've been thinking about and just making sure I keep that thought fresh and rethink it. I want to inject a song. Maybe I get to Jesse's office and He texts me and he says, Hey, I'm two minutes away. Can you wait for me? And so I'm just in his office and he's not there. Well, I want to manage that margin. I want to manage that margin. So with prayer, thought, and song. Because if you will manage the cracks, there will be more growth happening than you could ever imagine. Another little area you need to invest in is relational equity. Relational equity. Now, most of you that hear me speak know that I love history. And I study history all the time because I just want to learn. I want to learn from people who were smarter than me, better than me, who had to face things that were bigger than me. And so one of those individuals I spent a lot of time studying is Abraham Lincoln. He led during one of the most difficult times in our nation, during a time when it looked like the Union was going to explode, and he held this country together. But to do so, he had a cabinet of people, and they were not people who thought the same. There were many people that were intensely opposite and their thought pattern. And so they would have some heated meetings and every now and then someone would act like they weren't heard or maybe so-and-so overrode their opinion and put them down. One of the things that Lincoln was very, very good at was he was good at writing notes and he'd write notes when he felt like a cabinet member maybe had been beat up a little bit or not heard or not listened to. And he'd send it to him. See, he worked at creating relational equity. He worked at it. He worked at being an encourager. He worked at being in other people's corners. In life, there will be a time when other people have to be there. But the reason they will be there and be good is because... You've created relational equity. And so he would take cards and conversations and pull people aside. But outside the meetings, he was always creating equity in relationships. If I could say one thing that I don't think most leaders are good at, it's this. Relational equity. I have someone that I value a whole lot in my life. But honestly, right now in my life, I feel like there's not a genuine relationship. So I'm being transparent. This is someone I love. I know they love me. It's someone I believe in. I know they believe in me. But the relationship's one-sided right now. I'm the one that's always reaching out. That person reaches out only if they're in trouble. And the thing that I would say is this you've got to create relationship, not just for times when things are tough. You create relationship and build equity into it so someone will be quick to respond when they hear that you're in trouble. Lincoln was famous for taking blame that wasn't his. He refused the Secretary of State's resignation. People politically were saying he was the problem, that he had slowed Lincoln down. And then the secretary of treasury, they felt like he had not managed the money that was needed to really build the armies of the union. But in both cases, here's what they found. When everyone came after their head, Lincoln stood up and he took the blame. Even though those two men knew that he wasn't at fault. Hey, if you're not taking blame for things that you've never done, then you're probably not a high-capacity leader. And let me just uh, conclude with this. I was reading recently an article I've had the privilege to be married to the prettiest girl for 45 years. And I love her more than I've ever loved her before. But I was reading this article, and it was about happy marriages. Because we know a lot of people that are married that are unhappy in their marriage. And then it was going on, it was talking about happy marriages that were long-term. And let's just be honest. We know some people who share the same address— And they've been at the same address a long time, but they've just endured. They don't have a long, happy marriage. But what was interesting, they said there was one distinguishing quality of a long, happy marriage. And they said the quality was very, very simple. How often the people said thank you to each other. Just saying thank you. They said that thank you was when you didn't take for granted the other person. That you weren't overlooking them. You were noticing them. You were appreciating effort. You were appreciating their activity. You were appreciating them. I do a message about thank you, and I said, the average thank you takes about four seconds. But most people want to take four seconds to say thank you. Just imagine if saying thank you could keep marriages together and we could teach that as a skill. What an amazing thought. Now, nothing I gave you is big valuing time, not a new thought. Managing margin, maybe a creative way to say it. Relational equity. Uh, that's just the basics relationship. one they're little things, but when you do little things, well, you get big results and I pray that you get those. Thank you so much for joining me. As I mentioned earlier, you need to be in the room. I'd love to see some of you just make the time to be there in Vancouver. Let me train you, and let me train your leaders. Raleigh, May 9th, um, being a part of that, and then Rancho, April 27th. Come and be a part. You need to sign up. The room changes you. Get yourself in the room. Thank you for joining me.